Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Delson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, Co-Founder of Battlefin, Leading Data Platform, and a former Institutional Equities Trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, Founder of Trade the Chain, Former Head of Institutional Prime Brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, Co-Founder of Market Rebellion, Former Co-Host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and Co-Founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Hello, welcome to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. I was having some Twitter X issues. Welcome, B3 Nation. We have our Tuesday show, Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday, Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain, 5.30 Eastern, right here at Get Rev Radio. And it looks like I've got a protest on my head in Puerto Rico, so I might have to move to make it clearer. Good to have you guys with us. We got a big show today, everybody. Um, all kinds of stuff happening. Can't wait to get into the conversation, Mark Lepresti, about why consumers keep spending money when you say they have to stop. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about Fitch potentially getting ready to downgrade more U.S. banks. But first, let's talk about Battlefin, our sponsor, your 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 homeboy, if you will, Mark, your own your own little special brand. Um, I love that name, Battlefin, and I love the Battlefin conference we did on the battleship in New York. You know, Rob, thank you so much. And a big welcome to our loyal V3 listeners. Um, we hope you make it safely through whatever is happening there in Puerto Rico. Um, today's show is brought to us and to our listeners by Battlefin. That is a company that I co-founded some 11 years ago. It is the leader in the alternative data space. We are a platform that brings together providers of unique data sets from around the world to buyers of that data. We've actually been in the AI space for a long time, Rob. We used to call it machine learning back in the day. And Balfin sponsoring today's show because we are inviting our B3 listeners to join us in London. And I know that we have listeners from all over the world, including from the UK. So we're actually going to be having our next big, exciting Battlefin Discovery Day conference in London. I believe it's the 24th to the 27th. I know producer Patrick will put a link up in the crow's nest, both to Battlefin's website as well as to the registration link for that incredible event. Hope to see you in London. That's Battlefin's next Discovery Day event in London. Hope to see you there. Smash that link to check it out and learn more. Hey, Mark, let's do a quick overview of the week. I love your your overviews because it always puts a focus on something interesting. And I see that you're going to – I notice you the Home Depot thing. I love Home Depot stuff. I don't know why, but I'm curious what you think's happening there. They're you know, beating estimates. 
and the oil issue, I'm really, we can get into that later. Like oil is on a winning streak right now. So what's going on this week and what does it mean for us? Yeah, oil's on a winning streak, but it's bad news for consumers. And anybody watching the market, of course, knows that today the stocks fell. Lots of names in the red, lots of names that we like and that we own. In full disclosure, Tesla down almost 3%, Amazon down solidly 2%, a number of other big names, not just tech names, uh, getting hurt pretty bad on uh, a couple of things that traders and investors were concerned about today, Rob. One is more disappointing news out of China about the economy there, both on the demand and the production side, and banks, large and small, taking a serious beating on news that Fitch is considering, seriously considering, uh, another downgrade not to be outdone, of course, by Moody's that did the same thing last week. And, Rob, the difference here is that Fitch is leaving virtually none of the U.S. banks untouched by this alleged anticipated downgrade. This is including names like J.P. Morgan, which I think really, really took traders and investors by surprise. The market, of course, reacting accordingly. The Dow Jones down 361.24 points, just over 1%, ending a three-day winning streak. The S&P down by 1.16%, closing at 4,437, spot 86, ending the session below its 50-day moving average, that is a really, really important signal that I know that uh, Dr. J will comment on. And the NASDAQ uh, taking it in second place in terms of who fell the most, down 1.14% to close at 13,631, spot 05. And, of course, as I said, financial stocks, particularly banks, taking the brunt of the selling pressure as that three-day winning streak is ended. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo down 2%, Bank of America down 3%. And, of course, those banks uh, had already been beat up on Moody's uh, comments just last week, lowering, not just comments, but lowering the credit rating and putting them on a watch list for even further potential downgrades. Of course, that Spider ETF, that KBE that we talk about so much that Alex and John were trading uh, during the first uh, banking crisis, if you will, of the year, uh, back in March and April, that index fell, not surprisingly, down 3% in tandem with how the banks did. Um, but, yeah, also, I think, as I said, um, trader and investor concern around some rather significantly disappointing economic data out of China, along with that surprise cut to their uh, central bank rate. So, Mark, what is uh, speaking of China, what's going on with with oil prices? And obviously, the weak Chinese economy is kind of part of that picture, as is the strong U.S. dollar. But we've had a serious like rise in oil prices, right? And that's good and bad, depending on if you're the consumer. It's not great news. It's it's good if you're if you're playing in commodities. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, we've talked a lot about this, Rob, around how commodities tend to trend higher uh, at the point in time at which. Wall Street and traders, you know, get comfort around the end of a bank rate hiking cycle. Um, and a lot of the economic data that came out last week brought, I think the number was as high as 87 percent. It dipped back down to 85 on some of the sell off. It's still hovering around 87. I'm talking, of course, about the market's anticipated percentage likelihood as expressed uh, by the derivatives market and the futures market 
the anticipated likelihood of a pause in September, not a hike, not a cut, but a pause in September after the August Jackson Hole vacation period, where we're all very happy that we don't have an FOMC meeting and some action by Jay Powell and his feckless Fed band of feckless Fed governors. Um, I, of course, have been saying, loyal listeners will recall, we were going to get that pause in September, but a, a hike in October, I think, is still in the offing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so look, when, when things start to become crystallized, commodities tend to trend higher, crystallize around what's going to happen at the end of a rate hike cycle. So even if we get another 25 basis points, most all of the traders and investors believe that to be in the end of the hiking cycle and that cuts will begin at some point in time in hopefully around the end of Q1 of 2024. That means that agricultural commodities, energy commodities do see these spikes. There's a lot of other macroeconomic stuff going on, you know, where we are with the spur here in this country, action by OPEC. And but look, you know, this seven week, seven straight week uh, bull run, this is the strongest and the longest that the oil market has experienced since the end of 2021 that went into January of 2022. But of course, that news out of China giving people pause as to whether or not that bull run can continue. I don't think it can. My expectation is as we go in to the second half of the week, tomorrow being Happy Wednesday Hump Day, of course, that we're going to start to see oil trend lower, but we'll see if the other market masters agree. Well, and it looks like Dr. J is not with us yet. I think we have Tom at say. I just saw him, and I don't know if he disappeared. So, Tom, if you are there, I'm going to bring you up. And by the way, Mark, I just have to say, you said uh, something. I think you said a rate uh, hike is in the offing. I don't even know where that word offing comes from anymore. All I think of when I hear offing is effing, but, you know, but offing, I guess, means it's in the offering state. Uh, you know, I don't, that's a good question, Rob. I think it's British. And, and you know, who really understands where anything from, from British culture comes from in terms of all these interesting phrases? But I'll have to... Yes, or why you even say it? Because, you know, we're living in 2024, but I see that, Mark. Intellectual, that's the reason. You are an intellectual. You are a former securities lawyer. We won't hold that against you. Thomas A., are you with us? We had him, and I think we lost him. So let me do this. Let me jump ahead, and let's uh, we'll see if we get Tom in to do a, a macro, global macro. So Thomas A. from the Sevens Report gives us great macro insights. Let's jump ahead, Alex, and let's jump into the crypto overview. We got Nick Mancini also from the from – the, oh, there's Thomas A. Sorry, I'm backing up. Thomas A., you're there. So, you know, Mark was talking about China. Give us your, your big macro outlook, you know, your, your two-minute version of what you do every day, giving people great insights on the key things to look at in the macro picture. Okay? We tried and we failed. Can't blame us for trying. Let's jump ahead. We're going forward. We're going backwards. Alex Massioli, what is the picture of crypto? Volatility is low. What's going on with Bitcoin? We're all on the edge of our seats, those of us who, who own and, and live with crypto in our lives. Yeah, what's going on, Rob? And, and hello to everybody else. Oh, there's Tom. Where'd Tom go? We've gone back and forth. We're like a ping pong ball here. Hey, Tom, can you hear us okay? All right, Tom, we can't hear you. So we're going to get you sorted out, and we're going to go back to Alex on our ping-pong. But it's crypto. This is what crypto does. We're ping-ponging like bitcoins. Oh, definitely ping-ponging today. Uh, crypto's uh, total market cap took a hit. 
off of the trap by stock market sell-off today. Um, it's currently standing at $1.16 trillion on yet another low day of volume, $29.4 billion trading hands in the last 24 hours. Um, Bitcoin price largely unchanged, 29203 thereabouts, uh, but down to 29.1K at the height of the trap by sell-off that Mark was talking about uh, earlier, as it has retraced from its 29,900 weekly I-7 days ago. Uh, 12.5 billion in trading volume, but sentiment on trade the chain.com dashboard slipping into bearish territory with a 38 out of 100 score. Um, you know, listen, Rob, we're just not seeing enough spot trading momentum to cut through through and above that 30K level, that optical 30K level that uh, I keep bringing up and Nick as well. Um, but interestingly enough, we're seeing increased trading in the futures market, and uh, which are highs for 2023 as far as volume is concerned. Matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, we had about 14.6 billion in contracts traded. Uh, right now, we have a total of about 10.3 billion in futures open interest contracts, with 9.6 billion being in perpetuals and seven, uh, 748 million being in deliverable or cash settled contracts. Uh, Bitcoin dominance, I want to bring this up real quick because this is really important for people searching for volatility in the market. Bitcoin dominance is currently at 50.26% there about uh, of the crypto market. And even though that is off its yearly high of 52% back in July 28th, we're still way off the lows for the last 12 months, which bottomed out at 39.01 back in September 7, 2022. Um, and as everybody knows, in the crypto trading space, we had a lot more volatility as we went through things such as the FTX collapse and, and the market, you know, basically bottoming out and starting that winter. Um, the Bitcoin dominance figure, folks, it's important because that is showing us that a Bitcoin capitulation is not happening in the marketplace just yet. And volatility should remain low for the near future. Um, I figure if we see a reversal in that number and start heading Back into the 40s, we'll begin to see more volatility as money bleeds into more risk on uh, altcoin assets. But you know, we'll we'll wait and see. A lot of traders waiting for another little pump in altcoin season, like we had a couple months ago, uh, particularly around the priming of meme coins. Um, remember, folks, definition: high Bitcoin dominance tends to tends to lead to less market volatility, whereas lower Bitcoin dominance tends to lead to higher volatility as investors and traders reallocate into altcoins. Moving over to Ethereum, almost unchanged for the day as well, uh, but not not before it had slipped on that sell-off I mentioned with Bitcoin. A few key metric differences on the TradeTheChain.com dashboards are the trading volume. Currently 4.38 billion on the day, very low. Uh, it's minus 8% versus average, whereas Bitcoin volume is pretty much par versus average. Additionally, where BTC slipped in the bearish neutral sentiment score territory with 42 out of 100, ETH is bullish neutral, 59 out of 100, and I'm sure Nick will chime in in a few moments, some short-term trading analysis on this and other things. But one, uh, let's see, a couple of things that I want to focus on, and we saw it in this afternoon's TradFi trading session in the stock market. We have some important external TradFi events happening this week, um, and that is July retail sales data, which was today, building permits data, which is tomorrow, 
Fed meeting minutes, which are Wednesday, initial jobless claims and the fully Fed PMI data, which is Thursday. And don't forget about some of Mark's favorite stuff, which is retail earnings this week, including WMT, TGT, and HD. Um, one last note, a lot of noise, and uh, this is a big one because it has to do with Hedera Hashgraph and ticker HBAR. Uh, HBAR has been very quiet for a long period of time. There was a lot of noise in price action today as it climbed as high as 15% over the last 24 hours on news that the U.S. Federal Reserve's Fed now, which we've spoken about in past shows, um, and has added Hedera Hashgraph's space micropayments platform named Drop as a service provider with a network. This is huge. This is, uh, you know, first of all, it's putting them in the lead as far as other crypto company, uh, cryptocurrencies and real life integration within the U.S. banking and payment system. Um, but as many listeners know, <laughs> excuse me, I'm skeptical of the FedNow network, which just launched this past July. And if you don't know, it allows banks to make instant payments without having to wait for holidays or over the weekend. Like you can pay your mortgage and it gets there and settles instantaneously. Um, but I do have a tinfoil hat. I'm believed that this is the first steps towards the CBDC by the U.S. Um, and very skeptical of it. So I'm keeping an eye on that. That's about we've all we've all got it. We've all it's all right. We're interchangeable. Um, we, we even look the same. We've all got our tinfoil hats on, um, Alex. And Nick, I'll bring you into the, on this stuff, whether it's the Bitcoin ETFs, whether it's, you know, all, all integration at this point, Nick, seems to be driven at some level by the government and big financial firms wanting to take control, rest control, have a little more power. That said, you know, I don't believe that will ultimately succeed because the very nature of crypto works against that. But Bitcoin, Nick continues to stay under Alex's 30K optical illusion point, and I'm wondering when it's going to get over it. Yeah, uh, everybody is asking that question, um, and, and the market got hit with some really weird news today that actually, uh, you know, uh, kind of indicated for us to take some shorts, and then we, we took the sweep of the uh, 29.1K lows. I'll get into that, but the news was, you know, th there was supposed to be a decision uh, this week in terms of the Grayscale versus SEC lawsuit that is basically, to summarize that, is Grayscale wants to turn GBTC, their trust, you may have seen it on CNBC, their advertising right now they want to turn that into a spot bitcoin etf sec sued uh that lawsuit is supposed to come to a head uh you know it was either today or friday based on some lawyers who are involved in the case's estimates did not come out today so that was another hit on kind of sentiment a lot of you know anytime there's news etf deadline you'll see a drift up and then if that news is not what traders want you'll obviously see a drop back down and then secondly gsr markets uh, is officially you know really scaling back in crypto and that's another market maker gone we actually were tracking some wallets today and saw massive matic movements uh into binance from gsr and, and what do you know go look at the binance chart it absolutely plummeted today along with several others. Uh, World WorldCoin is, in fact, one of those. We took that short. LDO was another. Pepe got uh, got canned uh, pretty hard today. So another market maker pulling back, plus not the news traders want to see in the courts. Of course, you know, it's going to pull back. But we held the 29.1K level, which we told the TT 
CBC community yesterday in our research documents uh, that anytime we, if we see a sweep of the weekly lows, you know, or the weekly highs, it doesn't matter which side it was today, it was the lows. If you see a sweep, if it goes right under and comes right back up, you take that long, you set your stop at the low and you let it ride. Right now we're sitting at about 11% profit from that trade. So TTC community is sitting pretty. Um, but the crazy thing is, alts are dropping, Bitcoin's holding that 29K low. And and that honestly scares me, especially with GSR stepping out. Uh, Alex did mention, you know, that is a good indication of lack of volatility, but with them stepping out could mean for selling. And so we could see some really temporary volatility, but after that, whatever, whatever comes next, it's going to be a snooze fest uh, throughout the rest of the summer with yet another market maker taking their foot off the gas. You know, it's interesting. And, and Tom, Thomas Say is with us. I'll bring you into the conversation in two seconds, Tom. But Nick, whenever I hear you talk about this, look, I'm not a market master, but I'm really good with horses. And I literally hear your strategy and I feel like it's how you learn to like ride horses and move cattle. I have to say. Maybe there's something or yeah. Oh yeah, I, we, we follow tried and proven strategies. You know, we, we're not. I'm not going to tell you know traders that we work with who are you know maybe have weeks or months or less than a year in the system to dive into all these complex strategies. Take the simple ones if you're going to get a range, trade the range, and then we're doing pretty well with that. So we're happy. Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Nick. Tom, I say hopefully your audio is working, and we're going to lead into our sort of tradfi conversation, Tom. So I want to get your take on some of the sort of high-level things you're looking at macro, but then it kind of moving into that, we're going to talk about Fitch and, you know, and and basically, you know, going after, the, you know, saying basically there's going to be downgrade for, for banks coming. I'm sure that all ties into the macro stuff you're looking at. So what do you got for us? Hey, guys, good afternoon. Hopefully you can hear me now. Absolutely, we can. Okay, great, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so, you know, kind of an ugly day. On, on Wall Street, I mean, I think if there's if there's a reason you're seeing markets lower uh, so far this week, there's some China worries. Uh, yields are still buoyant. I mean, uh, more so than anything being really that bad. I think it's more, you know, you have a market that's that's pretty richly priced, and it needs good news to keep going, and you're just not getting anything new, right? So, in the absence of anything really new and positive, people are looking around saying, well, you know. Rates are higher, and if we don't know, maybe growth, maybe rolling over, maybe inflation stickier, and we've had a good run, so maybe let's take a little profit. So I think that's most of what we're seeing right now. It can spiral real quickly, though, so it's it's not a time to be complacent. Just assume this is a pullback you automatically buy. Hey, Tom, let me ask you something. When you What you just said was really interesting, the idea that it's not that something terrible has happened. But people are want something more. It's almost like you're in a great relationship where you got a great job or whatever, and it becomes kind of status quo. So you want something to up it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like we could have some bad stuff, but right now it's more just people want more good. The market kind of they need you know the market always always looks to what's next, right? So all the things that have pushed stocks higher so far in year to date. You know, whether it's you know, sentiment was really negative or growth held up better than we thought or inflation's falling faster than we thought. Well, guess what? That was the same stuff we were talking about two months ago, right? So what's the next thing to get stocks moving higher? Uh, you know, at this point, there's not a ton of really great candidates, to be honest. I mean, maybe earnings go up. You know, maybe the Fed surprises and it says, you know what, we may cut rates sooner than people think, but you know, those aren't very likely. So, you know, we used to always say in trading, 
there are a million reasons to sell stocks. Maybe you want to buy a car. Maybe you want to buy a second house. Maybe you're going through a divorce. But the reason to buy stocks is usually pretty singular, right? It's because I think something good is going to happen. They're going to be worth more tomorrow than they are today. And I think we've kind of run out of those catalysts for the short term. Right? That's why you're seeing this stall. Interesting. And Mark Lepresti, obviously, Mark, I think Mark would sell it. Mark would shave his head. If, if if the Fed were to actually like lower rates in October, <laughs> Mark, your thoughts? Will you shave your head if the Fed lowers rates in October? We got Mark on silent. He's not answering up. <laughs> Mark, I think he'll be safe. I think his head of hair is safe there. Don't worry. I'm just to worry about that. Mark, when you when you come back in, in, in into the X sphere with us, so let's let's talk about Fitch and Mark. Hopefully, you yep. get your audio back in. So what what's going on there? So so what, Fitch is what basically kind of threatening or, or saying no, we are planning to downgrade more banks. What what what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, Fitch seems to be on sort of a, a pretty aggressive, like you know, I don't even know what to call it. It's a PR campaign or it's a look at me campaign. Um, between the U.S. downgrade and now you're going to throw this out there with the banks. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with them saying what they're saying. I mean, they're not saying anything that isn't true. There's a lot of uncertainty around some of these regional banks. Uh, you know, we don't know what the Fed is is going to fully require of them from a capital ratio standpoint, um, from sort of a, a withholding standpoint, what, what dynamics are going to occur. So there's certainly uncertainty there. And then also, you got to remember, what was the main cause of uh, the bank failures in March? Well, it was Treasury bonds falling, long-dated Treasury bonds falling, right, and really screwing up uh, the value of all these assets that the banks held that they thought, oh, gee, you know, these are worth 100%. Now, all of a sudden, you know, they're sitting on 30, 30% losses on them. Well, guess what's happened to bonds recently? They're falling again, right? Now... And the Fed has stepped in and provided this this liquidity fix, which is working, uh, but the underlying problem is not solved. Essentially, you're giving these banks sort of a, a never-ending lifeline, but the, the underlying issue is still there and it's getting worse. So I think it's it's a combination of several things. It certainly doesn't help the market to have Fitch warning they're going to downgrade all these banks. Uh, and, and, you know, is that much different today than it was a week ago? Not substantially in my view, although I'm not a banking analyst, but I do think Fitch is, is sort of teasing the moment here and enjoying some of the time in the in the, the financial media sun, if you will. Well, Mark, what happens if if they actually do downgrade the <laughs> Well, we've got no Mars. All right. Well, so so Tom, what happens if they do downgrade and what the hell it's what the market do? Uh, it, it, it'll, it'll keep going down. I mean, it's not going to be a catastrophic decline, right? But at the end of the day, in order for a market to go up, you have to have uh, you have to have sectors that go up, right? So if financials aren't going up, and you know defenses, people don't want to all know if it seems like in mass. Then you get a little bit worried about growth. So I don't know about cyclicals either. You're essentially back to tech, right? What's going to hold the thing up? It's tech. And, and you know, listen, it's it's been good, just speaking about horses, that's been a good horse to ride so far this year. So I'm not going to discount it. 
but at the same time, you've got NVIDIA earnings coming next week. There are high expectations for that. Uh, you're talking about loft revaluations in some of these tech names as well. So the broader point is this. If Fitch downgrades the banks, don't expect some sort of banking crisis 2.0, but it's not going to help. Right. And right now you need some good news, like we were talking about, to kind of break the market out of this little clunk it's in. And that will not help. It's just going to add. It's kind of death by a thousand cuts right now. That's just another one. Right. And Mark, if you're there, you can talk. But if not, Alex um, and Nick weigh in on this. And by the way, you know, the good news would be that Mark either shaves his head or gets a mullet. He goes Morgan Wallen, who shaved his mullet. But um, but but Mark, I don't know if you can talk, but Alex, you know, and and Nick, you know, again, and I like tying it into the crypto side. I keep thinking if if the the more the U.S. trad markets struggle, the more Bitcoin benefits, but it doesn't seem to be completely true anymore. No, it, yeah, I mean, if you look at the timing today too, you know, crypto did have its drop when equities broke their recent lows. Um, you know, so there is some correlation there. If equities are are you know having indigestion, let's say, uh, I think I've heard Mark you know say that one once or twice, then crypto is is having a full on you know COVID nineteen you know uh, you know attack. You know, like oh, we got the COVID reference. And, yeah, I, I hate to I hate to bring it back, but that's how it is. And and I completely agree with Tom. You know, this is. This is not an, an additionally good news cycle and, and a cycle that is completely lacking good news. Um, and so I do think that, you know, we're looking at SPY equities. You know, we don't just track crypto over at TTC, but I would say uh, 4,400 on SPY, uh, um, not SPY futures, S&P futures is very likely in the short term, maybe 4480. So, uh, you know, without good news with the Fed, you know, being at this, you know, a very high terminal rate, uh, it's it's now taking effect. I think I think the golden rule and maybe Tom, correct me here is kind of 18 months from beginning of tightening to when, you know, you're really going to start feeling it on the consumer end of things and inflation's not as far down as they would like. So um, I do think a nice little equities pullback here, you know, makes sense, you know, as as the summer lull continues. Tom? Is he really? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's that's what people have to remember here, you know, is that rates went up so fast that, it, it you know, it's going to take time to digest them, you know, and this is what we're seeing now. You know, and what, what happens if we're sitting here in March and you're still at, you know, plus 7% mortgage rates and you're still sitting here at a 5% plus Fed funds? I think just as the month comes on, it begins to cut more and more and more into consumers. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about how groups are trying to sell their homes. Uh, so they're locked in at 3%. Well, guess what? Let the calendar keep rolling. And sooner or later, people have to start selling their homes for one reason or another. And now this sort of begins to, to, to inject. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Tom. That's a that's what I was going to say, Tom. I, the, where it will affect the housing market, which we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, I think it will affect that, which is already tight inventory, people holding on. I think it will. I, I do think that. And we got to see already was like, real real estate. Estate. No, we have. No, no, my audio. I'm fine. I hear we're all here. We're all here. Happy family. The question that Rob was asking before I lost audio about. But I'm not sure why that happens. Um, what about the increased credit event that we were talking about last? Which does, in fact, fall through on its threat 
it's a threat. We want to make sure that we're clear on the report. We even did not downgrade. They said they're considering the downgrade. Once they did good on that threat, the state of the quote unquote credit of that policy, and, and does that not potentially impact his credit model? Of course, that ultimately do impact equities. So, Mark. Mark, let me interrupt you because your audio is really, really bad. So I'm going to just reframe what Mark said for everybody. Tom, he's asking, are we expecting a, you know, what Mark calls a credit event? It's like kind of a disaster movie. You know, are are we going to see that, you know, the equity picture on that? And, and you know, we talked about it. You weren't on the show, I don't think, Tom, but we talked about this looming so-called credit event. Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's 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 certainly a, a a possibility, right? I think that that it would depend on the scope of the downgrades and the severity of the downgrades. What sort of you know covenants does it trigger, right? Does it create a lot of forced selling in some of these bonds in these banks? I think that's a bit of an unknown. I mean, you know, banks are are upgraded and downgraded, you know, very frequently throughout a normal you know year. Um, I think if there was some sort of massive wholesale downgrade, I think that would make people nervous. I think if you see all of the rating agencies come out and do it then I, and or follow suit, I think that obviously raises the concern of that. Um, it, it's a possibility, absolutely. And I think if, if you know, credit in general has held up surprisingly well, and when I say that, just for listeners, think about like, you know, um, corporate bonds, right, is kind of one of the easiest proxies to look at when you think about credit is how worried are people about corporate profits. Um, but I, I do think it's a, it's certainly a risk. I think it, there's a lot of unknowns around it, but you can't ignore it. There's no question about that. Well, well let's talk about the credit thing for a minute. And Alex, Alex jump in with us too. But, um, you know, look, the Mark has consistently said sooner or later people have to stop spending. And yet they're not. We've got a trillion dollars in credit card debt. We've got, you know, inflation, high interest rates. The price of everything is crazy high and people keep spending. It's like we don't care. I don't even know where the money's coming from anymore. Well, I mean, it, it's interesting listening to everybody and all the experts, uh, Tom, Mark and, and Nick and whatnot. I mean, we talk about credit issues with the banks, and Mark brings this up a lot. And it's the you know we have U.S. car loans totaling 1.5 trillion dollars right now in the United States. Um, uh, the majority of payments uh, for the average consumer on new car loans is over a thousand dollars a month. You, you know, Mark talks about people spending all their money and running out of. Uh, consumer discretionary funding for themselves, and and Tom and and a couple others talking about you know forced selling of housing, uh, particularly you know at low interest rates, like people are going to have to do in order to cover these stats. I don't see how we don't go into a a credit kerfuffle, uh, so to speak, with especially with the regional banks. Um, defaults are going to be on the rise. I think they're going to be impending right now, and we're going to see a lot of money. Um, being taken off the balance sheets. There's a lot of risk, I think, on regional banks and lower-tier banks right now. So, Rob, what does that mean? When we talk about the credit card, what, what is that? when we talk about the credit card event, I mean the credit card, the, the credit event, what, what, what Alex just said, what does that mean if that happens? Like, what are we actually, because I think for our listeners, for B3 Nation listening, like everyone's going, okay, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for what I should be looking at to do or not do? 
I mean, I don't think that was, I don't think that was a question particularly directed to me. I mean, I'll let Tom or Mark take on that one. Yeah, totally, totally. No, it's just a thought based on what you said. So whoever's got an answer, because again, everybody who's listening, I want to give everybody a shot to go, what, what do I do with this insight Alex just tossed out there, which is, hey, we're, we're going to run into a problem here. Here's a, an easy way to for, for our listeners to internalize this. It essentially means everything except treasuries goes down, right? I mean, I'm being a little bit, uh, you know, over the top, but not that over the top. Because all a credit crisis means is, or a credit issue, credit crisis, whatever you want to be, say, is that all of these loans that these companies have made now all of a sudden stop being repaid, right? And what do they do? They're going to go and they're going to seize their assets, just like happened in 08 and 09. And they're going to take these used cars or they're going to take the boats or they're going to take the RVs or going to take the houses and they're going to sell them, right? And then investors are going to look and they say, oh, crap you know, they're not getting paid back on their interest. We're going to sell the stock and we're going to sell the debt and you have, and then we're going to run to the safety of treasuries. So that is, is, I mean, I'm being a little bit over the top as I said, but, but practically that's what happens, right? So everything that isn't, you know, really guaranteed by, old, you know, uncle Sam, <laughs> you know, really faces a stiff headwind, but real quick to the consumer spending part, Mark is a hundred percent right um, I believe about what ultimately happens, and I think we're starting to see it. So, in today's retail sales report, it, the it was a strong number. Even the internal, the control group that you know, economy nerds like you watch, even that was good, right? But here's the thing: if you really look in the details, there was a lot of evidence of of kind of down. by that is all of the spending in this retail sales report, it didn't come from it didn't come from furniture, electronics, you know, all these sort of big spending things, right? It came from clothes, grocery stores, right? Kind of small merchandise. So what happens when people stop spending money? They spend less, right? They buy smaller things. I'm not, I'm not hey, maybe I'll buy a new, you know, Roomba or something like that. And going down until they say, you know what, I'm just not spending anything. So I think that yeah. of that, I think it's right to Mark's point. So Tom, what you're saying is you think actually, despite the fact that people keep spending, we are going to see at some point this spigot turns off. People can't, people can't just keep racking up more debt and spending more, right? Sooner or later, so it has to stop. Exactly. So don't think of it, you know, that there's there's varying degrees of the spending being fully open and, and fully off. And I think that's what we're happening. Now we're losing you, Tom. Everyone's audio. Alex, you've got audio. And you, you also got to remember, Rob, that a lot of things during what's happened over the last five years, let's, you know, take cars and houses, for example, and what's, you know, leading into this culmination of uh, a potential disaster is the fact, you know, you've had a healthy stock market uh, since 2011, um, you know, homes, home prices rising, people taking out mortgages, low interest rates, they got lucky. Uh, over the last, let's call it three years, you've had uh, car prices hit all-time high premiums. And if you were buying a $40,000 car, you were paying $52,000 for it, so on and so forth. So when you turn around and these people run out of consumer discretionary funding to buy the you know, the Roomba, as Tom said, 
um, and these smaller items as they have less and less money to do so. And then they flip into forced selling, such as the boats, the cars, the houses. And the thing is, is that the majority of these people are going to be underwater. If they bought a house within the last, let's call it eight years, um, you know, uh, on an upswing of, of housing prices, even with the low interest rates, they're paying off less than 20% of principal on those monthly payments. Those home prices have, have dived in the last uh, 12 months. Uh, the cars, they're, you know, if they paid $60,000 on a $50,000 car, they're going to be selling them in the 40s, you know, if they're a year or a year and a half old. So I think this is setting up a perfect storm for what could be possibly a very bad environment uh, for the market. And much like 2008, um, and as we all know, the golden rule, you know, when you go through events like this, cash is king. And uh, that's why companies like BlackRock, uh, you know, with real estate from the last crisis uh, made out so well. Uh, Alex, well, Alex, that, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'll let you respond, but I was just going to say, I was literally going to ask, are we heading for 2008? Well, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up, and and this, I don't know if it's gonna be that severe, but I think this is an important anecdote in kind of the history of the money supply and the stock market gains. I'm comparing right now the the U.S. money supply. It's U.S. M2 on TradingView. If you want to check it out, compared with the S and P uh, futures and. Uh, the U.S. money supply is contracted, uh, you know, close to 10%. I think it's about 8% right now. There's there's almost no time in historical record when the money supply is contracted that much. And every time that it has either contracted or stayed flat, equities have either stayed flat, you know, meaning just range, range bound trading or barely inched higher. And so we're talking about, a you know, an 8% contraction and equities are, you know, darn near all time highs again. Um, and we're kind of, you know, now everybody's kind of putting this, this, this piece together at this 18 month point of when hikes were really starting. Um, you know, so it does, you know, all of this does, you know, continue to point to a, a at least a correction in equities. I'm not ready to say new lows, and but Definitely points to a correction. And I know Mark has a stand up, but just to, you know, throw in real quick to my point earlier is that back in 2008, we didn't have what's going on with CRE right now as one of the variables. So, um, it, you know, we're sort of uncharted territories and we're also sort of, hey, we didn't learn from our mistakes. Yeah. And Mark, now you're back with us, I think. And we're going to talk about housing in a second. But Mark, um, if your audio is good, hopefully it is. You've been quiet for way too long. My first question to you is, will you shave your hair if they lower interest rates in October? Yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I, I went through, by the way, Mark. I'll jump yeah. in on that one. Oh, I know that voice. Yes, that that, that is absolutely, absolutely uh, what what I will do because there is absolutely no chance that that's good. Welcome to the show, Grant. We heard your voice. Gary. Wait, Grant, we'll bring you in. The Gary. Oh, sorry, Gary. Sorry. This is the this is the quiet one. No, no problems. So I was going to ask you guys. This is a, a fascinating conversation. I've been through, I think, uh, eight or nine of these, and my life never changed really. Oh eight, I had a liquidity problem, but does my life really change if the stock market goes down and I'm not grossly exposed to it? And for the guy that bought too many boats, that's a market working right. Most people shouldn't even own a boat. Uh, we're a debt. Like this is all debt now. They're already broke. These people. Unless you can pay cash for it, I don't. To me, we are in uncharted territories. I'm sorry, Mark, to steal the the spot just real quickly. I don't know uh, that anybody can predict what's getting ready to happen. We just 
leveraged rates up, what, 500% in an extremely short period of time. Uh, so it, 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 I think you're going to have, you have to have kind of like all types of collateral damage along the entire value chain when you do that kind of stuff. So to me, that's a really great insight, by the way, Gary. And I apologize. You sound literally like your brother. Um, but, uh, but, but, but what's your take on, you know, when you say it's uncharted waters, again, our listeners are all kind of going, what do I do here? Like, what do you do in this situation? Well, I'll pull it out of anything that I can't really understand. And I would challenge anyone on this panel that they actually understand any securities on the, uh, the equity market. I don't, I don't trust any of the data. I don't trust any of the data that we have that's all altered. So how, what do I do? I pull back, become very, very ostensibly defensive and try to start moving money into places that I think I can control, at least control the principle, uh, and hopefully make some bets against this thesis. This has to unravel. The, the point I was trying to make on the eight prior recessions or what, you know, I think that they were all real recessions. They felt like recessions was unless I go, unless the entire country goes bankrupt and we go into a depression that we get really emotional about, Hey, you know, is, is this, is this cleansing that's getting ready to happen? Whether it's two years, two months, two days, or 20 months or two years, uh, there has to be a cleansing in every environment, right? You, you just go through that. I mean, I'm going to die one day, cleanse the deal, move on, cycle through. Um, these are normal things. We're just, I think we're trying to hold on to the old world and everything we, that came with that construct going forward. And I'm not sure you can, because if there's no other great place to put money and there's a ton of money sitting on the sidelines and everyone knows it's decaying by the day, I think it does seek out the equity market. You could really have an equity market go up and still have a shitty, shitty environment. So it's wow, wow, My, Gary. You just we just went existential deep. I feel like we're somewhere Mark, in, in between the purge and a, a religious reformation here. But it's so interesting and insightful what what Gary's kind of pointing out. Like we're holding on to the old, and the new is coming at us. Well, Rob, you know that, that's really the question, right? And as everybody knows, I'm a big data nerd. We just talked about Battlefin being the show sponsor, which is a data business I co-founded 11 years ago. I tend to agree, maybe not as uh, passionately as Gary, that a lot of the data that we rely on, that the Fed relies on, um, is is dated, is is old, is is lagging, is flawed in many ways. Um, you know, do do companies also sort of game the system and game the numbers a little bit in terms of earnings? And now that we've had enough scandals to know that 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 is also the case, and perhaps not as sanguine as he is in terms of of equities. But, you know, you, you do look to historical cycles and there are some things that give people like me and other market watchers pause because I always talk about, you know, the trend is your friend, like what's happened historically in the markets, try to use those as indicators, not as the, the sole thing that you make your decision on, but as indicators because things do tend to repeat themselves. But we do have a couple of things that are very unusual and don't fit historical patterns. I would argue that the looming CRE crisis, right, the the commercial real estate crisis, office building crisis, propelled and catalyzed by COVID, something that is a once in a generation event, hopefully, a certain reason thus far in this generation, 
um, the, the dramatic inversion of the yield curve, staying this inverted for this long, where you have you know two sort of very different opinions being expressed technically by the bond market versus the equity market, you know, on top of the fastest rate of rate hikes, the fastest pace of rate hikes that we've ever seen, right, since the Fed was was created. There are some factors at work here. There are some pretty significant influences at work here that we do not have precedent for, right? Notwithstanding, we can point to the things that I often bring up on the show. When we know that the Fed is at the end of a rate hike cycle, commodities, including agricultural commodities, tend to rally. Well, we talked about that in February. And what's happened? Look at rice. Look at coffee. Look at grain. Look at, you know, a frozen concentrated orange juice. Shout out to all the trading places fans on the show. Um, some of those trends have proved to be uh, uh, reliable in terms of their repeatability. But when we try to factor in these other things that have not been present in prior cycles, prior monetary policy cycles like the one that we've seen, that's when the market starts to get nervous. That's when traders and investors start to sit back and say, you know what? We really don't know what's going on. Or well, we don't know, I should say. We don't know what's going to happen next because of some of the unique factors that I just referenced. And I think that's why the market is, as Tom was saying earlier, which I loved, the market needs constant reassurance. The market is like you know, a kid, you know, on first day of kindergarten, you're going to do great. You look great. Don't worry. Your teacher's going to love you. Your friends are going to make new friends. Everything's going to be wonderful. Your lunch is going to be terrific. That's how the market wants to be treated right now. And any, any, any negative sentiment, any indication, negative forward-looking guidance, and we got a fair healthy heaping of it, right? And in this earnings season, just look at what the Home Depot commentary was today, which I referenced at the top of the show. Forward-looking does not look so great then the market's going to sell off. And that, that's what happens. I, lo I love that, Mark, the reference to kids. Like, the market is a child. It needs to feel like, tell it everything good about today. You're going to be fine at school. Gary, I'm Gary, I, Mark used the word sanguine. I'm, I'm making fun of Mark today because he used offing and sanguine, which I got to look up both those words. But are you sanguine on the equities markets? Uh, I got to look up the word, too, because the way he used it, I'm like, huh? Um, <laughs> so. I think it means you're like, I'm not sure. Wait, I think it means you're not like, so dude, how the fuck, how, how the hell can we be optimistic when seven stocks out of how many hold up the entire complex? And, and like, I'm trying to be respectful, but I, I, I just don't, this is talk about the metaverse. Okay. I think we are in the metaverse and look, I helped build a public company. I had to give analyst presentations. We told stories, okay? We altered reality. It's not about miss, you know, like errors in the data. I think you have a whole system that's, you know, that's just fouled. And, and so to go back to what do I do, because I get on these podcasts and, and start to think, you know, Armageddon's coming tomorrow morning. There's nothing for me to do. Uh, I, I just look for really defensive places that, I can start to understand how many outstanding shares are there really. And, and I, it's hard for me to manage uh, what the agenda is of boards and executive teams today because I think the metrics for success are no longer uh, the same as which when I was growing up, we were building businesses to uh, help the shareholder and expand a business. 
and grow that organism. Now it all feels like a bit of uh, psychedelic Kool-Aid that you get to kind of, you know, pick your core. And, and most of this is because public companies are required to report quarterly. And, and you cannot build a great army or great business thinking 90 days down the road. It, it is such a ridiculous thought process. And you got the Chinese sitting there loading up a, you know, coal-fired power station one a week uh, because they need it. Now, is that the right strategy for them? I can't say, but they're not looking at a quarterly cycle. They're, they're looking at how do we take care of the next 50 years? And we've lost complete track of that. And I just think the future, sure. the future right now with technology is going to undermine the non-seven, you know, the seven in the, in the Dow that or the NASDAQ that really hold up the rest of the market. The rest of these legacy companies, I think we're going to go through a bit of a cleansing unless AI really shows up and everyone embraces it and margins explode. Uh, that could be, you know, that could possibly happen. I think, though, the money, there's so much cash on the sidelines, it's going to chase risk. Uh, it's going to get bored sitting on the sidelines. So, and, and if you can't make money at 6% interest rate, I think that I don't know what the normal is over the last 40 years. But if somebody offers me $100 million at 6 six-ish percent, I'm going to take that money. And I think I can build a business around 6 6.5%. It's ridiculous, right, not to think you couldn't build a business around that. Yeah, it is. And by the way, it's Fullswares and Blockchain on, on X Spaces. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Tweet out the space. Follow everybody who's on. Gary, really glad to have you joining in. Everyone hates when I say that's interesting. But well, what you said is super fucking interesting. <laughs> and and actually, Rob, yeah, go ahead, Alex. I, I just want to follow up both Gary and Mark's commentary because I think this is really smart listening for the listeners. It, it doesn't matter whether you have, you know, $10,000 out there, you have $10 million out there. I think the, what people try to chase is what could possibly happen that's going to go so bad when in turn I think it's where where the opportunities going to expand themselves when if things do go bad right so you know whether you're in a highly liquid environment such as stock market or whether you're in a more esoteric environment such as real estate you say listen if this happens uh, you know where the opportunities exist rather than say Okay, what can I sell? What do I have to do to wrap this, you know, jacket around me when when the world darkens? Um, it, it's just too much to guess, right? So, uh, I just look for people to really just de-risk their mind and and kind of look for those opportunistic, especially what Gary was saying when it says, "Hey, what are really safe yield returning uh, returns rather than swinging it for the ballpark?" I like that de-risk your mind idea. We got five minutes left, guys. So while we're making the shift to de-risking your mind, let's talk a little about crypto. Alex and Nick, I mean, you know, does, does what's going on with, with Amsterdam or this, you know, Europe, Europe having its first bit spot Bitcoin ETF, is that kind of relevant to any of this? I mean, I do think that crypto and Bitcoin in particular becomes a place where it factors into this as the, as the market's as the way we see the world, you know, Gary's talking about like it, we're looking in an old picture of it. Crypto is part of the new picture. Well, I mean, I'll comment on this very quickly and let uh, Nick get some uh, some voice in here. But listen, Jacoby FT, uh, Wilshire Bitcoin ETF, um, it, it just launched. It got approval uh, almost two years ago. 
uh, this coming October to trade on the Amsterdam Euronext. Uh, it's regulated in Guernsey, a little island most people have never heard of between England and France. Um, I, I think what the biggest optic is, as far as this being listed as the first spot ETF in Europe is, is almost a middle finger to the United States and the uh, the the inability to come together on, on regulation consensus uh, as regulators. So um, I'm, I'm kind of happy it, it, it happened. I hope it pressures Washington to say, listen, straighten the heck up. Let's get moving forward. The Euronext and the EU are, are not a second fiddle to us. And, and if things keep going this way, they will surpass us as far as, uh, you know, innovation when it comes to new products. So um, I, I really think it's a, it's a black mark on us right now. Um, but I'll let Nick have the second half of this. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with Alex. You know, the, the the tricks and the news cycles that are coming out around the the SEC and the spot Bitcoin ETFs approvals, you know, d certainly doesn't paint a pretty picture. Um, you know, in reference to this, you know, this this foreign ETF, it, it, you know, it's definitely positive, but it's certainly not the first one that's been launched. And I think that's you know a big point of many American investors and in, in ETF, um, you know, creators or, or owners uh, is you know th this is going on internationally and you know all these countries work with the u.s and have financial relationships and you know it, it's it's so silly when you really just lay it out on the table so this news while good is not entirely impactful because you know you're not going to see american investors or, or foreign investors en masse jump into this etf they're going to want obviously a black rock or an arc or something like that um but it is a step in the right direction it adds another tally uh, to the pro-crypto people, you know, against Gary Gensler and the Biden administration. Gary, let me bring you in the convo on this. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we're running out of time. We only have a couple minutes left. We were going to talk a little about the housing market and how tight the inventory is. But I do think it's all relative to, and, and relatable to the, to the issue of we're moving into this new space and you know so so weigh your thoughts in on it because what you said before really kind of you know like the old versus the new here yeah so like if i look at real estate i mean if I, if you think real estate's a good play uh because it's beating up a little bit i think the best real estate play on planet earth is bitcoin especially if you're willing to self-custody um it is the at least product that I can look at and understand its value and volume, the quantity that will, you know, it's not going to have a new issue of outstanding shares. It's not going to get diluted. Um, I, I think that's a good play. And I think if you're in real estate, you have to, you, if you don't understand Bitcoin as a real estate play, I think it would be worth challenging that construct that it could in fact be real digital real estate that's movable and along with an energy component. So that's my play on it. Uh, I think the future is awesome and I've never like, you know, been without a meal in a recession. So I don't know what we all get. Like we are really a fortunate country and that, you know, our losses are on paper unless we take the loss. Right. So, uh, really great to join you guys. Really awesome. I wish I'd have joined it earlier. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for being with us, Robert. The only, the only Go ahead, Mark. I just wanted our listeners to to hear and, and on that home builder sentiment, is I think we may have an indication of a top tick finally in in the in the housing market. Right, we've had the home builders, you know, the Pultis, the the Hobnanians of the world, 
uh, roaring, 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 reporting unbelievable earnings, positive forward-looking guidance, in part because of the low turnover of existing homes. There's no inventory of existing homes, so the only homes selling are new homes. And I kept asking, how you know, how can that continue with interest rates being what they are? The average mortgage rate right now solidly at seven and a quarter, right? That happened yesterday on Monday. Finally, 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 the National Association of Home Builders decided that their sentiment was going to drop to 50 points, right? And this is the, this is the August print for that number. Anything above 50 in that index is considered positive. Anything below 50 is considered negative. So for people that were looking for a point at which how can this housing market continue, how can this crisis continue with home prices being so ridiculously elevated, notwithstanding interest rates, demand maintaining notwithstanding interest rates and the consumer condition in this country from a savings perspective, the home builders still continuing to do well. How can this continue? How can this run continue? I think, and I, and Gary, I might go out on a run and go out, excuse me, go out on a limb. And, and um, I, I like to do that because I'm happy when people come back and check my facts. I think this is an indication that we top tick the market. And I think that's probably a good thing not only for home buyers, but perhaps even for the Fed, because that's been an, a, an area of continued inflation that the Fed does not like. Yeah, and listen, guys, it's Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. This is our Tuesday edition. We do it Thursday and Sunday. We are out of time. We're going to ask you to follow us at Get Rev Radio. Please follow everyone, including uh, uh, Gary, who joined us, and we'll continue the conversation. I love that Gary, the real estate guy, well, more than real estate, but you know, you, you and your brother are—that's kind of the thing you're both known for. But this Bitcoin is the new real estate. Like, think of Bitcoin if you're thinking real estate. Been a great show. Want to thank Battlefin, Mark Lepresti, co-founder of that, for sponsoring this show. Uh, Mark, you want to do a really quick, like, twenty-second shout-out about the London? Yeah, we- yeah. Again, I see that it's still posted up there on the crow's nest. We'd love to have everybody that can make it. Certainly, you're from the London area. Third week of September, Battlefin Alternative Data Discovery Day. We do these four times a year: Miami, New York, London, Singapore, or Hong Kong. We alternate each year. Check it out. Smash that link at the top. We hope to see you in London at the end of the month. Everybody, B3 Nation, thanks for joining us. Tune in again on Thursday, 5.30 Eastern time here at Get Rev Radio. It's the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Show. I'm Rob Nelson. Good to have you with us. We'll see you on Thursday. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lepresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.